0: Welcome to L&D Disrupt, the podcast dedicated to helping you overcome workplace challenges and prepare for the future of work today. I'm your host, Nelson Siblingham, and I'll be speaking with the movers, shakers, and pathbreakers in L&D who are reshaping their organizations right now. Join us each week as we delve into the highs and lows of work in the industry to get to the real nitty-gritty stuff that you actually care about. Hi and welcome to the fifth installment of LND Disrupt Live. Unfortunately, I had some broadband connectivity issues while recording the live show. So just to warn you, you might hear a few glitches here and there. Without further ado, let's get into the episode. Hey everyone, good to see familiar faces again. Let me see if I can recognize some, uh, names here. Actually, there's a lot of new people joining us today. Um, if you are new and this is your 1st LND Disrupt Live, please do pop your introduction in the chat. Let us know where you're joining from. Uh, just a heads up, I seem to be having broadband provider issues in my area right now. So if I am jarring or pixelating, um, then don't worry, one of my colleagues will step in um, to make up for my lack of connection. Um, do let us know where you're joining from. Kenny, where are you joining us from today?
1: I'm joining from London in the UK in particular, uh, or specifically um, Sydenham in uh, the southern east part of London. I don't know if that's Nelson pausing or, <laughs> or, or freezing.
0: I think he's frozen, not just a, a pause for dramatic effect.
1: Indeed, yeah. I mean, th- that does happen to be a, a particularly helpful facilitational skill if you can sort of uh, utilize the pregnant pause, and I think that's exactly what Nelson, well, was doing until um, Zoom decided to take over.
2: Yeah, I think uh you, yeah. I think Nelson is uh, completely frozen. So. Uh, so look, guys, I think I will uh, step in and do my best Nelson impersonation. Um, I, I don't ha- quite have the same uh, barking twang as Nelson, but uh, uh, similar to Kenny, I'm from, uh, from South London. And so it's always uh, good to, uh, to see a fellow South Londoner on, on here. Uh, and so first of all, like welcome everyone. Um, I, I've noticed quite a few of you have started to put your cameras on and, and feel free to do so it'd be awesome to see more faces. Um, you know, today, you know, we have uh, uh, Kenny for our fifth, and uh, the uh, Disrupt, uh, he's the head of culture and inclusion at Improbable, um, a, a rapidly uh, scaling uh, a, a startup company. And he's got a wealth of experience uh, around leadership uh, in general. Uh but what I'll do is uh maybe just uh ask Kenny to sort of introduce himself uh, a little more uh to, to our audience today.
1: Yeah, thanks. Thanks, Kumi, and um, and thanks, Georgie, and uh, thanks to Nelson, who I can see is um, snuck back in in the back row there. Um, uh, um, really good to meet you all, and some people from, I think, Canada particularly as well, so from far and wide. Um, yeah, Kenny Tamaral, and um, I, I head up culture and inclusion um, at Improbable uh, and joined... Uh, also the, well, the company two years ago leading on leadership development and learning but actually um h- hearing it here first i'm actually moving on from improbable um as, as georgie knows next week so um sort of i guess uh you know kind of live on uh, lnd disrupt letting the whole world know i'm actually moving to um netflix um in a few weeks time uh focusing on organizational development and learning there so um uh, you know, looking forward to uh, to s- sort of that work. But uh, I started out my career in uh, public education, so a lot of the sort of facilitational chops that I picked up was being in a sort of public sector uh, and then eventually trained as a coach um, before becoming a a sort of consultant, working with brands such as Rolls-Royce, Vodafone, Johnson & Johnson, BBC, um, uh, before joining Improbable. And uh, as Kumi mentioned, uh, we're a sort of tech scale up, uh, moving uh, quite rapidly into the metaverse. and, uh, And we also work with a number of AAA game developers um, supporting their um, projects, so delight to be here. Awesome,
2: uh, and and today, you know, what we're going to be uh, focusing on is the much overlooked and undervalued skill uh, facilitation. Um, and you know, I think the hard truth here is it doesn't matter how great your yeah, L and D offerings are if uh, you know they're not uh, being facilitated well. Uh, and you miss out on that opportunity and I think you know some of the tech issues we've just faced today are uh, like some of the challenges we've all faced in in L D uh, over the past few years as we've tried to work out remote and hybrid Uh, and you know even doing that facilitation uh, in person in the classroom to moving online is a completely different uh, game Um, and so what we're going to do uh, is uh, mix up things in terms of the uh, the agenda. And so part of the magic of this is we've got uh, so many great practitioners alive on the call and, and the question and answer really is where a lot of the magic happens. And so we've got a, a couple of agenda topics and we'll pause after each topic and, and open up the floor for Q&A. So feel free to... Uh, come on uh with your cameras and, and ask uh ask away um with any questions you might have but maybe just to set the the context um you know, what is uh like what, what do you mean by facilitation Kenny?
1: Yeah, thanks Kumi. And uh, and I should say, Kumi, you've you stepped in at the, you know, the last minute and uh, I just want to take my, if I had a, ha- a hat on, I'd, I'd take it off. Um, and, and I think that you're demonstrating again, one of the sort of core skills is, is being able to sort of improvise and flex in the moment. So, uh, yeah, absolutely, Julie, I think that deserves a, a sort of round. Um, so what do we mean by facilitation? Well, you you know, you will all have your own sort of take on a facilitation. Um if you think about the definition it it means to make easy um and and essentially the facilitator is is to some extent trying to um to make that process of learning easier but but actually it's a bit deeper than that you'll know because often as a facilitator you're having to challenge constructively challenge which which doesn't seem like an easy thing so i think in short there's sort of two forms there's the sort of Macro facilitation, event facilitation, which is a bit more like being a sort of a uh, a master of ceremonies, a sort of uh, sort of host, uh, you know, ex- facilitating an experience. And then there's a sort of facilitation as an intervention. So, um, Burn, I think it's Eric Byrne, if some of you might be familiar with transactional analysis, um, uh, talks about sort of eight different uh, intervention styles, and facilitation is one of them. Uh, being a sort of a catalyst is another one of them, being more supportive is another, uh, and he's got a range of different um, styles he talks about. So in short, Kumi, I think facilitation definitionally is about making a process easier, making that process of learning easier. But for me, it's more than that. It's about the facilitation intervention, being able to role play, ask powerful questions, challenge, support, um, uh, sort of be able to read the room um, as well as the sort of general event management piece as well
2: um and and I, I guess sort of building on that like what would you say um often gets overlooked uh, when when we think about facilitation
1: what gets overlooked or, or do you mean um, by by facilitators or by the business or by by audience members or
2: y- y- yes I think um, yeah, we we could sort of approach that in a couple of different ways. I, I think yeah. just often as uh, as a facilitator, um, what are some of those skills or attributes which are maybe overlooked and, and actually are more important than we, we put onus on?
1: Yeah, really good question. Um, and keen to hear what folk in the room think and and what their experiences are on this. Um, from a from a skills perspective, I, I think we can keep it really basic. Uh, listening is such an important skill as a facilitator. Um, you know, ensuring that you're paying attention, that you've heard the question, um, and and you you can you know think about. I don't know if you've, any of you've got a background in coaching, but in coaching, we talk about um, the sort of three you know critical kind of listening skills where you're summarising, you're paraphrasing, or you're clarifying and being able as a facilitator to say, um, hey, Kumi, what I think I heard you say then was, uh, you know, why are certain skills overlooked? Have I got that right? Was it was about right? You know, being able to say that in the moment uh, to show that you're sort of listening and paying attention is a, is a really important skill. Um, I think there are lots of other skills we can, we can sort of talk about. I think there's, um, you know, some basic things around contracting. You know, when you, when you set up a, a session, Uh, And I think I talked about this in one of the videos that I put on LinkedIn earlier. Um, You know, how do you, what are the ways of working? So, as a group, for example, imagine we're a group, they're about to uh, go on a bit of an experience. And imagine I was facilitating and we just launched straight in. Well, you're all strangers. How are we going to decide to interact as a group? What are the kind of rules of engagement? How do we deal with feedback with each other? What's kind of out of boundaries? when are we deciding to go on a break you know all of those things as adults come together uh, you know you we we can't assume those things so we talk about quote-unquote contracting up front and having the confidence um to be able to do that um is is of supreme importance so i'd say i mean there's a whole list of things that i'm missing out but I think listening and being able to listen well is incredibly important. Being able to contract um, well upfront and, and not make assumptions is, is also important. But again, others will have some thoughts and, and definitely would love to hear um, if anyone's got sort of particular insights into that. Awesome.
2: Um, yeah, is there anyone in the audience who, who has any questions or uh, thoughts around facilitation?
1: Yeah, yeah. Georgina says, uh, yeah, contracting is interesting. I wasn't aware of that, and, and 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 people might find that a bit of a formal term. Um, I, I often just think of it as ways of working. Um, but as a consultant, you know, we work within. Well, when I was a consultant, we'd often obviously work within contracts, so it was a term that was often used um, used then. But but yeah, essentially, it's how how do we want to work as a group, and and as you go through the experience, you can then come back to that. You know. Um, I remember, and as people are thinking of maybe questions, I remember um, facilitating a workshop for for a very large aviation organisation. And there were a couple of um, high powered execs at the back who had their laptops open. Um, But we hadn't been really clear at the beginning around what we expected of each other in terms of paying attention. So halfway through, um, I sort of paused and said, can I just give you all some feedback? I'm feeling a bit uh ignored at the moment and i don't know if some of you are taking notes on the laptop or if you're actually engaging in the lesson um but but i wanted to point that out and and again if if we had begun the session being very clear around what the ways of working would be i could have then pointed back to what we sort of agreed agreed at the beginning yeah that's a good question has anyone got any sorry go ahead kimi
2: i don't know um Yeah, I think, yeah, Laura's just uh, dropped into the chat saying, you know, uh, how do you deal with uh, difficult and disengaged uh, learners? And so you gave one example there. Are there any other examples or practical tips which our audience can put into practice?
1: Yeah, great question, Laura. F- first thing would be, why are they disengaged? Let- let's sort of diagnose, uh, you know, so wanting to diagnose on the fly in real time, you know, why is this person disengaged? I- is it because genuinely um, they- they've got better places to be, uh, in which case maybe they, they shouldn't be there uh, and maybe there's something about the setup of the session in advance around, you know, who is the audience of the, you know, who should be in that session? Um I I remember getting some really hard to hear feedback on on PECON once, which is a a sort of employee engagement platform. And someone said, "Um, I didn't really earn much in Kenny's session. Uh, I could have just done with a one pager with some bullets and I would have been fine. I I didn't think it was that uh, efficient use of time. I remember reading it thinking, "Oh okay, yeah, that's great. just popped my popped my balloon just then um, and and so you know sometimes I wouldn't frame it as difficult and disengaged necessarily. I think I'd sort of frame it as there's something that they want maybe that not that they're not getting um, uh, and so sort of thinking about that now, of course, sometimes you will have some derailers. so you will have some genuinely difficult people uh, maybe for example, the company's going through a bit of a organizational change and someone gets on the mic and says, look, I've had it, no one's going to say this, so I'm going to say it, this change isn't going to work, and I don't know why we're wasting our time on the call. And so Laura's, Laura's quite right, you know, that, that would be represent a difficult um, moment. I think um, it's important to, to manage your own emotions and avoid getting embroiled into a kind of antagonistic conversation. So you might always, you sort of want to step back and do whatever you can do to sort of disarm and deescalate um, uh, the experience, but also move things on. So you might say things like, oh, Chris, that's really interesting that you that you feel like this is a, um, a waste of time. Uh, I wonder if you could say more about that. Or you might say, um, appreciate, point noted. Um, why don't we put a pin in that? Can we come back to this at a, t- a different moment? And you might take some time during the break to pick up the call or pick up that conversation. But in essence, it's important to to stay composed um, and and to really see what you can can do to sort of deescalate um, where needed, that that would be sort of some thoughts, sort of off the cuff.
2: Um, I think that uh, Nelson, are you are you back?
0: I'm um, I'm back. Apologies, my
2: facilitation
0: is being interrupted by my broadband <laughs> provider or lack of, um, but hopefully. Um we can continue. Kimmy, thanks for stepping in uh, and Kenny, I was listening there. There's so much to um kind of unpick. And I'd love to kind of go into the kind of steps to becoming a great facilitator. Um, maybe starting with the idea of if I've never facilitated before, yeah. where's a good place to start?
1: Yeah, good good question. I think um, you know, if, if you've got external vendors in your organization, um, contractors, people who are facilitating, see if you can shadow with them. You know, do some shadowing. Um, uh, maybe you co-facilitate with them. Uh, perhaps you. Oh, someone just said any advice on co-facilitation, how to build on that dynamic. Uh, we can certainly come back, come back to that. Um, but you know, you might if you're just starting out and you've never facilitated before. You know, maybe you do sort of. Uh, the contracting phase of a, of a facilitation event, or maybe you do the closing, maybe you take particular sections um, and you sort of practice that. It's really important to get feedback. So if you're working with someone and co-facilitating afterwards, ask them how they experienced you, what you could have done differently. Um, record yourself, watch yourself back. That's one of the, the most powerful things that I did Also, most excruciatingly painful things I did was recording myself, listen to myself back. Um, I mean, I just wanted to crawl over and and get into a corner. Um, But that can be very instructive. Um, and, And then I think, you know, just, you know, thinking about everyday actions and everyday skills that you would use in a facilitational sort of encounter. What I mean by that is... You're speaking with a partner, speaking with a family member, use it as a chance to practice your summarizing skills. Use that as a chance to practice your clarifying skills. So you might, again, you might say something like, "Hey, N- Nelson, I just want to make sure I heard you correctly. Um, I-, I think what I heard was you were asking about how do you get into facilitation. Just before I start, was that about right? You know, so you're constantly practice like, practicing those skills in everyday moments because those that's the muscle you're going to need to sort of flex in in the facilitation event.
0: And just diving in, Kenny, to the contracting, because I've seen a few questions come up in the chat uh, about contracting as well. What what are kind of examples of implementing contracting? So, it, like you mentioned earlier, so it doesn't come across like a formal exchange. Um, so how do you kind of seamlessly in, embed it into assessing?
1: Um, so, d- again, just to practice my own clarifying, I think it cut off a little bit there, but I think what I heard yeah. you say was um, but practically what, what does that look like? Was that. Was that what I heard?
0: Yeah, essentially. What does contract? What are examples of embedding contracting within a session?
1: Ah, uh, okay. Yeah. So, um, uh, you know, if you're if you're you know if you're face to face, you're in person. You know, I'd often just have you might just have a flip chart, um, and you might think about the task. So you think about task, process, and relationship. So the task is in you know wh- what are we here to do. What's in scope? What's out of scope? And, and being clear on that. But then also asking, and Leanne, uh, just to pick up on Leanne's point, I think it's a great point there. You know, uh, making it a two-way piece. You know, there, there's what I think. I, as a facilitator, I'm here to help enable. But what are you here to bring? What is it that you'd like to get out of the session? So one practical thing that I, we did a lot at PA Consulting was, you know, going around the room and saying, um, you know, Yarden, what's one thing you'd like to get out of today? Claudia, what would you like to get out of today? Aaron, Spencer, what would you like to get out of today? Julie, what would you like to get out? And you, you write it on the board. And then at the end of the session, you can then come back and say, hey, Julie, I'm interested. Did you find that you you, you got something tangible uh, f- You know, from what we talked about at the beginning? So it keeps you honest as a facilitator. And it means that everybody is sort of almost democratically uh, sort of... Uh, Uh, kind of assenting to uh, what we want to focus on throughout the session. So it's kind of the task. The process is things like when when should we take a break? Does that work for you? Um, You know, particularly around things like childcare and working from home. You've got to really think about that. Uh, The third one is contracting around relationships. So how do we give each other feedback? You know, what if in this session someone says something which is potentially harmful or gives you a bit of an ouch? How do we respond to that? Right. How do we want to respond to that? You know.
0: And in terms of traits, Kenny, that you think you know, is there a right way of facilitating? And are there you know a set of traits that make a great facilitator?
1: Mm. Yeah. Good. 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 Good question. Um. I think I think there are I think there's sort of a set of basic traits and and I'll pause here to Sam I, I I realize everyone's hearing my voice and and I, I do do feel free to chime in um, partly because uh, you know I'm just as a facilitator you're self- aware when you're talking a lot and so uh, it, a change in voice is always welcome so if you've got something you want to chime in and share please please feel free but to answer your question Nelson yeah I think there are some traits, core cool traits around um, you know, self-awareness, I think is the first one. So um, again, just like I was talking about just then, are you aware when you're speaking too fast, for example? Are you aware when the group is maybe a little bit tired or the group needs to sort of a shift in, in sort of energy? You know, so so those sorts of self-awareness pieces are quite important. Confidence, I think, it's incredibly important to be confident and, and to be able to sort of develop that um, sense of confidence in front of in front of others. Um, and then you've got the more basic skills that we just talked about. You know, the listening, um, uh, and then some of the advanced skills which no one really talks about. I find uh, some of those advanced skills are things like how do you constructively challenge someone you know, someone that maybe shows up in a way um, uh, and and maybe no one's ever held up a mirror to that person. And as a facilitator, you have permission to sort of do that. But, you know, as, as MCU heroes often say, with great permission or great response, you know, comes great responsibility. And so, um, <laughs> or great, great power. So, um, you know, thinking carefully about, um, you know, ha- ensuring that you don't not just not just about not saying the wrong thing but demonstrating tact in in what you say i think the last thing i'd say in terms of a trait and I, i'm conscious i've missed out a hunt you know a whole host of things um there's sort of this thing around poise you know I, when i was a, a early as a facilitator i would often apologize a lot uh, you know I, or say things like oh i forgot to talk about x y and z but no one knows that you forgot to talk about that so don't don't let the cat out the bag. Just sort of just keep it going.
0: Get <laughs> um, great point, Kenny, and, and it kind of leads on to a point Anna's made around preparation. Anna, yeah. if you'd like to come on and, and kind of share your thoughts and um, your question for Kenny.
2: Hi, um, yeah, I was just point, um, thinking about sessions that I've gone to in the past where I think preparation seems to be key because. Um, a lot of facilitators seem to not quite be prepared for what the sessions and um, the format is we've been to quite a few where they like to use breakout rooms but they don't really have prepared you know how they're going to tell you what they want you to discuss and they don't formalize like who's going to feed back and then when you come back into the session there's like a lot of awkward silence and people are you know, the facilitator might be saying, oh, so from group one, who's going to speak? And just kind of <laughs> a lot
1: of awkward silences <laughs> sometimes. That's a fantastic point.
0: <laughs> uh, uh, it's, it's a great point. And Kenneth, what does your, your prep planning process look like?
1: Ooh, what does my... Um, process look like now. I've got to reveal the um, the secret arts now, Nelson. That's um, that's it's um, all classified. I've got a uh, men in black style zap everyone at the end. No, um, I, I think um, so. So I, so why don't I talk a bit about how I prepared for this session, um, and that might um, uh, be be helpful. So I spent a lot of time. I mean, I've been thinking about this topic for a long time. In any case, but I then spent some time. Um, thinking about the questions we talked about Nelson and, and sort of writing my own thoughts about it um, and then saying to myself, OK, it's now time to forget it rather than using a script. I, I'm not really a believer in in, in scripts, but I, I recognize it can be helpful for some people. But I feel like it's a bit like going on a date and, and speaking from a script. There's, there's something quite um awkward about <laughs> awkward about that um so so my own preparation is often to sort of type out lots of thoughts um but then i'll often jump on um jump online earlier obviously to do the technical checks but to, to anna's point and again i just think it's such a fantastic point that anna's made is preview the video in your mind this was a a, a, a uh, an, an approach that my friend Nick Shackleton-Joel and some of you might know, um, we work together at Peer Consulting, we'll often talk about. So, you know, play the video of the session in your head and think about all the different touch points. So as you do that, uh, as Anna just mentioned, you'll you will come to the point in which you're going to send them from the main session into the breakout rooms. And as you do that, you will then stumble upon the, the reality that, oh, how are they going to know what to do in their breakout room unless they've got... Uh, one pager, which which they can use in the breakout room. Now, I don't know about you, but I find that um, I, in our Zoom setup internally, we I can't share documents through the chat. So what I have to do is I have to add it as an invite into the calendar or through Slack. And so thinking ahead of time by playing the video out and looking at those different touch points. And I find that as someone who, I don't naturally pay attention to detail. Um, it's not a natural thing, but I've had to, develop that over time, that technique of just playing the video out in your mind um, has been quite helpful for me.
0: Is there any such thing as kind of being over-rehearsed um, where you know, you're know you trying to plan every beat for beat of the session and you're kind of missing out on the spontaneity or anything that comes up in the session that you can build on? Is there a risk of that?
1: Yeah, a- absolutely, absolutely. I think that, um, you know, and again, this is another shout out to a colleague I was working with, um, uh, Hannah um, Bauer from Vodafone. I hope she doesn't mind giving me a giving her a plug. Um, she's a great facilitator, by the way, and we did some some sessions together. Um, and uh, and I remember when we were preparing for the session, she said, "Oh yeah, I'm not going to. Don't worry about the notes. I'll, I'll just sort of um, I'll make it work." And 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 she was able to draw from obviously experience um, in order to facilitate. But I think that. The, the thing to remember is people want you to be successful as a facilitator. You know, you're watching a facilitator, you want them to do well, but what you want them to do is to show up in an authentic, relatable way. And the challenge with relying on the notes um, is that it, pres- it creates a bit of a barrier sometimes between you and the, you and the group. Um, now, if you're just starting out, I don't want you to feel uh, discouraged. You know, you may need to use it at the beginning. Um, but, but over time you want to try and show up in a way, um, that allows you to be really attentive to what's, to what's being said, um, in the room.
0: And um, we've got a question from Prince Okoro. If you want to comment, it's a great question about engagement.
1: Oh yeah. What's the question there? Uh, let's just have a look. Oh yeah. Um, what do you, what Prince, do you, you consider? Like and respectful? And
3: you? If not, yeah. I, I mean, I, uh, yeah. Uh, can you hear me? Yeah, we can hear. Yeah, perfect. Uh, yeah. So, sort of, how do you navigate through kind of respectful silence? Because you know, when I, when I'm I'm, I'm facilitating, I'm, I'm you know running, I'm doing it through Teams, I'm I'm doing things through Microsoft Teams, and I'm showing my display of some some of the stuff that we've got there. So I kind of, I guess, I kind of built. Uh, a barrier initially because i got to show them detail but when i'm showing detail I'm, I'm discussing these details and you get that sort of respectful silence at a certain degree but then I, I i'm trying to navigate navigate through it to get some engagement but how do i get that engagement where people feel comfortable to speak naturally um but also keeping it kind of top line level because I, what i want to do is um is 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 not have me speak <laughs> and get everyone else to kind of engage with it. So, you know, the, the majority of the conversation or, the, or the, the time, the 30 minutes is through everyone sharing best practice and sharing ways we can improve.
1: Yeah, g- good question, Prince. I, th- I think what I heard was, um, you know, people can be respectfully silent, but, but what you're trying to do is you want them to sort of not just... Simply comment on what you said, but but bring something of themselves into the sh- session and share something out of their own sort of insights. Is is that what, what you mean, Prince?
3: Yeah, yeah. Because you, you you get a lot of that when you're when you're doing it. You have that, you know. Even myself, I'm not I'm not always a confident speaker, but you know, I can. I, you said like, you touched on a few things earlier around preparation and being ready. And sometimes you can really prepare as much as you can, but when you get on there, it, your your mind almost goes blank, and you just like, mm. um, okay, well, good morning, and you just want to get everyone engaged. You might say a joke that doesn't drop. You know, luckily, I don't know if anyone saw the, the Will Smith sort of reaction to, to Chris Rock. But, you know, you, you must say a joke. Nobody really engaged from that joke. And you want everyone to kind of say something and you go a bit silent, wait for everyone to get on. So I'm kind of trying to find my way to navigate through that and get through yeah. to the, the thick of it, really. You kind of give them that deal well first of all
1: thanks prince for your question and for you know sort of uh you know being confident to to ask it on the microphone which isn't which isn't easy um but by any stretch um yeah so a couple of thoughts i think um first of all remembering that respectful silence can can often be very genuine often people are simply thinking about what you've shared and it's important to give people the space to 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 do that i work in a in a sort of a, a you know, a dev engineering first organ- environment. Uh, and um, you've got a lot of critical thinkers who will often just want to think through. Uh, so that's the first thing, giving them space to do that. The second thing is uh, user generated content above your own content, I find is, is more impactful and more helpful for engagement. Uh, what do I mean by that? So um, recently uh, I ran a session with a, um, a team uh, on, on leadership and I asked them to bring in their own images and I asked them to come up, come up with their own songs that sort of spoke to their own leadership experience. And I tell you not, Prince, I kid you not, Prince, I I, I didn't have to say much because it was something that was being generated by them. It was something that they'd shared. You know, all we'd, um, we, we'd do a sort of bring an object exercise where we ask people to bring a prop or something which speaks to a time where they failed. And all of those sorts of things can help people engage. So um, I think the other thing is, you know, switch it around. Um, try to get the, the content uh, coming from them where possible and then um, uh, you know maybe it's people don't want to use a microphone so if you get people sharing in the chat people might be more forthcoming um, if you sort of sort of do that and 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 make it psychologically safe to, to 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 do that and to share so upfront in your contracting you know stress the fact that look this is a safe space what is being shared in the room isn't being shared outside of the room. We talk about that as um, as sort of Vegas rules. Um and, and if 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 you've got some of those caveats, that might help people be a bit more um forthcoming. I, I hope that's helpful, helpful in some way, Prince.
3: Yeah, no, massively, massively. Trust me, someone um, like myself um, I find it a bit difficult to to be open like that. So it's really good to your know, some of the insights you're giving me on if we take on board. No worries.
0: Um Prince, thanks for the question, and again, thanks for being so so candid. Um, and let me tell you, we've all had a joke that's not landed right, um, and you just got to laugh at it yourself and crack on with it. Um, yeah, so yeah, yeah, great great question. And um, Kenneth, what are the? You know, how do you know if you're doing it right? Right, like mm-hmm. uh, you know, building on what Prince just said, sometimes you know you're not always getting heads that are nodding smiling hmm. constantly giving you reactions that tell you they're engaged especially today when you're doing it virtual you know people might not even have their camera on so you're almost yeah. assuming they they are just nodding along and so how do you kind of know you're doing it right
1: that's a that's a that's a great question i'm going to i'm going to do the classic facilitational sort of trick and say what do other people think And Can here we have respect- respectful silence.
3: I, I mean, if you're asking what, what, what do we think around, uh, what, what, what it's good or what, what, what you think you've done well, uh, me personally, I always take it in a sense of when people engage and they, they laugh or they feel like they're taking something from the from the facilitation, from from the core, I guess. Um, that's why I think that, that kind of respect to really shows what's good. Um, I don't know what else, personally. yes. Mm.
0: Um, so we've got some um, thoughts in the chat so we've got reactions that come in the chat getting feedback at the end of the session uh questions and thoughts in relation to what you were saying uh, engagement in the chat again uh, with zoom reactions um so yeah there, there are a few there anything to to add to those kenny
1: yeah well, I, th- I just could jump in. If Sorry, I, go I ahead know. go ahead greg
0: um i think for me yeah. as well it's, once you're driving through through the content um you're asking some thought-provoking questions and then once you can get open in that dialogue it brings other individuals in because they feel it's a more of a safe place um but also it then allows you to challenge potentially what they're saying which then leads to a deeper conversation and for me then as a facilitator based on their input and their discussion their points of views i know that I'm on the right lines that I'm going through the content that I'm, I'm looking to facilitate around. That's, that's what I look for in terms of whether I know a session has landed well or not.
1: That's, that's great, Greg. And, and I think, you know, all, all the things you've all said is, is really helpful. Um, I think I approach it in, in two ways. One, it's always clearer to me when I feel like I'm getting it wrong. I think that's that's often the case. You can just sort of—I don't know—some of you might have experienced it. You feel like your words are just falling to the ground in front of you, and you just want the you want the ground to sort of swallow you up. Um, uh, and so it's often clearer to me when when it's not going well, and and when that's happening, sometimes you just have to pause, you know, gather yourself, and sometimes speak to speak to the elephant in the room, you know. Um, so like I said, when I gave feedback to the execs and said. Can we just take a moment to pause here? Because something doesn't feel like it's working. I don't feel like I'm I'm making a connection here, or whatever the case might be. And often speaking to that can really, um, you know, surface what's really happening in the room in terms of engagement. Um, that said, you know, you know, it, there are things that I would often look for, um, and and I think one of the things I look for is you know, um, it's not so much whether people give positive feedback because, as much as that's that's really helpful. Um, the thing I look for is, have I been able to challenge people and support people? Yeah. I think, you know, people can go through, uh, you know, a corporate life in particular and not be filled that supported, validated, affirmed, positive feedback given, strengths-based feedback given, or been really constructively in a kind way, but in an honest way, challenge and if i'm doing those two things in a session um i feel like I'm, I'm sort of adding value
0: kind of building on from that kenny how do you go about collecting constructive feedback right I, i'm assuming that you sending out a form and if you are sending out a form what what's yeah. kind of the style of questions to make sure you're getting useful data that you can actually work off
1: oh yeah good good question and um so there's there's it touches on a whole sort of area around evaluation in in the L and D and O D world right which you know it's just a it's just a hot topic and I can tell you what to avoid you know you want to avoid the sort of happy sheets right you want to avoid the sort of um, yeah this session made me feel great. Um, you know, people usually, and what we've often done in the past is go with the Net Promoter Score question. So, how likely are you to recommend this experience to others? I think that is that can be quite a powerful question. Um, you know, you know, how likely are you to do something differently on the back of this this session? Um, but remember, if you do the thing up front in the contracting piece, where you're asking what is it that was challenging for you today, uh, it's quite easy. For, and, and then at the end, if you've sort of touched on that. Um, and you've addressed that, it's quite easy for them to evaluate and make the connection between, oh, I came into the room and I didn't know how to give upwards feedback. I now know how to give upwards feedback. I now feel like I've got some experience and confidence. You know, they're more, when you when you sort of target those questions, um, you're more likely to get sort of favorable responses. So I guess in short, you know, there's there's, there's lots of, you know, technical things you can go into in terms of evaluation design you know do you use LyCart scale do you not use Likert scales you keep it binary or not um that's not necessarily my air expertise and i and i should say i i don't facilitate as much these days as i as i used to in the past but when i think about what some of our vendors would do when we sort of partner together often it's it's focused on things like um recommender score questions um but also you know the likelihood that people are going to um sort of implement something and there's a bit of a trick there isn't there because if someone says that they're going to do something then they're more likely to do it as almost a sort of a self-fulfilling prophecy as well.
0: It would be great to hear from others in the community if you know how do you go about measuring and um, whether you've been successful whether you've had impact that the desired impact you're looking to have um, and how do you go about gathering feedback? Do you drop it in the chat and, and let us know if you're happy to come on. Um, but, Kenny, just moving on to some kind of the challenges, uh, yeah. and there are new challenges that have come about with the way the world has changed um, in, in the last couple of years. And I guess the most obvious one being a hybrid audience, right? Yeah. It's not going to be uncommon um, to have some of your audience tuning in virtually, whilst the rest of them are um, physically there with you in the same room. You know what are some of those challenges that have come up as a result of a hybrid workforce and how have you overcome those
1: yeah I'm, I'm, good question and we've experienced one of the sort of key challenges <laughs> today haven't yeah. we, with, with technology um and i i, I remember a, um, a session i was running for um a, a uk government department and um it was it was the most hybrid session i've ever been in we had Twelve leaders who were in a South Africa, a hotel in South Africa. I was facilitating here in S- Sydney, in, in London, and um, we had a group of other market directors uh, all over Africa, the Africa hub, so Egypt, Morocco, Ghana, Niger, Nigeria, um, and uh, and so incredibly um, hybrid, if if that's a if that's even a phrase, and um, and and the session worked or the session went well and, and talking about the evaluation question <laughs> the way i know is because i was called back to run run more sessions so <laughs> i'm assuming i'm assuming it went, it went well um but there were issues with technology. And I think there's one thing that's really helpful is to have a, a sort of a producer role. Um, so you have the facilitator who can really attend to uh, the questions, attend to the experience. And I guess in this context, Kumi and Georgie are sort of um, playing that role. And um, yes, it's resource intensive you, you may not have um, available you know, people to sort of do that, but it, it can be really helpful. The other thing that I, I, I sort of do is, um, and again, Nelson, I don't, don't mean to put you on the spot, but I actually decide to hardwire my ethernet cable into, the lap, into my laptop. So I don't use wifi when I'm running uh, at all. Right. And, I, and because of that, it's, it's dramatically changed the experience for me. But again, caveat, I recognise that's not possible for everyone. So um, of course, you know, do what you can to, to get the, the sort of best um, service um, you can. Um, so so that's, that's the other thing. And I find that generally when, that's, when that's, those things are there, you've got a producer, you've got someone that you can sort of turn to. Um, you've taken the time up front to prep the breakout rooms you know, you can do that, particularly on Zoom. You can create the breakout rooms in advance. Um, and then you've tried to rehearse it with either with yourself or with another person. Um, I generally find that, that you know, uh, that's pretty helpful. I've run, I mean, this year alone, again, I don't do as much facilitation as I did in the past because of my role. Um, I focus a lot more on sort of um, change, culture and values and things like that. But um, this year, I think I've run about, near a 100 sessions since january and and thank god that, that technically we were we were okay um and uh whereas in the past um if where i didn't have the right setup or, or, or sort of producer support um it, it often um sort of went a bit um pear shaped
0: and how do you bring in the element of obviously when you doing an in-person session is the social element of peer-to-peer interaction that didn't need as much orchestration and could happen uh, spontaneously, but obviously it's not as easy when you're uh, virtual. So how do you bring, quote unquote, the element of fun uh, into it, right? One of the questions um, mm-hmm. a member of the community had sent in prior to this event was, how do you ensure you don't bore your participants to death? And, and you know, going back to the idea of fun again. So, what yes. are some of the examples or ways you have brought in to make it more fun and more interesting, but to ensure you're still delivering that outcome?
1: Yeah, yeah, really, really good question. I've—I um, don't know if you've seen that. There's a there's an animation, a sort of a meme with someone on the guillotine or sort of being hung by an executioner, and it says, and there's a PowerPoint slide in front, in front of them, and it's just <laughs> your sort of death death by PowerPoint. And we've all we've all been on we've all been on those um, in those kind of situations. So. Um, I think a, a, an immediate place to start is, um, you know, some of the research around how the brain works. Um, I heard, um, I think Trisha, Trish, Patricia Broderick, who, who does a lot of work in this sort of agile um, facilitation sort of space and leadership, talked about this actually recently. Um, and and it's this idea of novelty. So uh, you know, the brain responds well to novelty contrast um, or salience, uh, as in, you know, if, if you're going to have a set of slides, what is the salient slide? What's the slide that you want to stand out? And and, uh, and there's a book actually that, that talks about it around um, around presentations, but almost diffusing uh, and making the other slides around it less interesting and, and sort of popping out that, that, that additional slide. Um, so there's a piece around novelty, uh, novelty contrast or salience, um, stories and emotions. I mean, we all love stories, don't we? You know, stories incredibly powerful. Um, so I'll often have, in, in a lot of my right. sessions, I'll often create space to ask, Well, in fact, before the session starts, I'll often in the comms leading up to it, I'll prompt people to think about a story or about a time in which something happened. And you get these kind of war story moments that are just, just memorable. I mean, I bet you could all think right now about um, a time when facilitation went wrong or um, or maybe just a, a story about work life that that you've always held on to. And those, Nelson, can be very impactful. So there's the emotion piece. And then uh, Trish Broderick also talks about um, meaning. Um, and I don't know that this is original to her. I think this is something which has, you know, been generated uh, sort of out in the neuroscience community. But meaning, um, again, Daniel Pink talks about that, doesn't he? he? Talks about sort of well, mastery, autonomy, and purpose. And purpose is sort of aligned to that meaning piece. Um, so how can you help people sort of make sense and 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 connect with with you um, uh, as a human being? Sometimes that means showing up vulnerably. I find that um, the and I know this isn't so much a fun thing, but the sticky, sticky and memorable points in, in sessions I've run have been when I've showed up and said, hey, do you know what? I made a mistake here, or I said something wrong there. Uh, and that sense of, of sort of selective disclosure of vulnerability as uh, MIT talk about um, can, be, can be quite powerful. And then, and then, you know, obviously things like bingo, things like quizzes, um, getting people to do polls, uh, you know, all of those interactive media things, which I think we all, you know, you, you learn to do that at university, right? When you're sort of, or, or school, when you're uh, working on group tasks, I think all of those things can be, can be useful as well. Does that answer the question?
0: Yeah, it it does. There's some great, great uh, points there, Kenny. And you must see every year someone somewhere predicts the end of classroom training and live (laughs) training. I'm sure every year the trend is someone thinks um, it's the end of classroom training and live training. What can we do to change narrative? Obviously, there's a question of, you know, does the sage on stage really deliver value to the learner? Um, or is it just a economical way of distributing knowledge, right? And and is that the reason why it's survived for so many years? Um, what are your thoughts on that and how you can approach changing this narrative um, of, you know, classroom training and live training isn't effective?
1: Well, I mean, I think, um, oh, I just see Nicola's got a question there as well. Okay, we can, we can come back to that. Tips do you have for supporting people following? Um, that's a really good question. I think... So Nelson I, I, if I'm honest I think my gut reaction is I, I don't know that we'd want to change the narrative. Right. And what what I mean is I think a lot of the, the evidence is there to, that's that talks about the ineffectiveness from a sort of a memory a sort of memory perspective of traditional classroom events. You know, there was this sort of work by Ebbinghaus, but also uh, my friend and colleague, Nick Shafton Jones, has written a book, How People Learn, talks a lot about um, memory there. And, and, And we know that even from this session, the things that you're going to remember in two weeks time, one, won't be the things that I think you'll remember, but also will be different to what everybody else has remembered. In fact, one of the things, uh, I remember a session I was facilitating and one of the ladies at the end um, said to me, and we were talking about, I think we are talking about something to do with bias, unconscious bias. And she said, Kenny, you know, I've really enjoyed this session. Do you know what I've really taken away, taken away from this session is is just how you involve people in the conversation? And I was shocked by that. I just thought, I mean i didn't think that that would be the thing that that she'd take away from it, so there's this sort of piece around sort of meta that sort of meta piece of what people take away from experiences um but to sort of come back to your point around classroom events, um you know because we know that um you know yeah. people are not likely to remember. Content, we then have to therefore change our approach. And that's why you know we talk a lot about learning experiences um, that are far more memorable. So if we are going to change narrative, then I'd love to see us change the narrative to focus more on how do we design, how do we facilitate memorable, sticky learning experiences, which is sort of your maybe your learning by doing approaches um, that are far more impactful um, in the long term, in the long run. And I think if we're going to get a seat at the table as a, as a sort of a function in, in the business, it's being able to demonstrate impact around performance and results. And the way we're going to do that is not through sort of chalk and talk in a traditional conventional way. Um, but is through um, is through uh, uh, sort of impactful experiences. Um, and I would say, you know, in a COVID post COVID world where we sort of uh, you know, we seem to be getting closer through technology, but drifting further apart through, you know, whether it's ideology or polarization, or whatever the case might be. Actually, the LN, the, the sort of organizational development, the L&D world has as a sort of an opportunity to bring us together. And you're seeing a lot of organizations now wanting to build community, um, especially where they're globally dispersed. And so I think that's another sort of value add that we can sort of lean into to say, actually, the L&D world um, is, is, no, or to say the events, The need for events hasn't sort of ended and isn't going to end. We're always going to need to gather people, but it's the purpose around which we do that 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 needs to shift.
0: Yeah, and just to add to that, I think a great book um, to read is Building the Minerva University. And so these guys are essentially disrupting higher education and the way universities operate, starting in the US. Um, But they talk about the principles of a concept called fully active learning, and so most of their curriculum is delivered synchronous, um, but it's really focused on delivering fully active learning, where the facilitator's key role is to facilitate peer-to-peer exchange to, to application of the knowledge that they had acquired prior to the session itself. Um, but really, really great collection of essays on principles that you can apply to your facilitation. Um, I'm going to come to you, Nicole, to, to answer your question, if you happy to come Hi, thanks Nelson. Um, yeah, it's just a question um, around how do you support people following a session? Because um, I, I sort of found like the sessions I've helped to facilitate, um, it's the sessions happened and then sort of everyone just moves on or goes yeah. back to their day-to-day and then that session, like everything learned in that session, everything discussed sort of just gets forgotten about just because of you're back to day-to-day jobs, um, and then it's and then you get a case request of requests request. oh, we need this session again. But it's like, well, how how's what was the impact of the last session being? Um, before we look mm. at running another session,
1: Nicole, that's a, that's an absolutely brilliant question. Thank you so much for asking that and to give me a chance to sort of offer uh, some thoughts. Um, people, we often talk about learning transfer in this context, and, and sort of uh, which. You know, it's got some issues as as a sort of expression itself. But um, I think one of the things is taking a marketing approach to L and D and organisation development. You know, look at the ways in which um, you know marketers, social media, and com- other you know big brands and companies get us to shift behaviour and and and. and ensure that their agenda is in the forefront of our mind. So I, if I if I could say anything and stress anything, it would be taking a marketing approach, which is around how can you create a regular drumbeat of comms internally, a regular sort of campaign, of if you like, um, and that might be a Slack channel. It might be a Slack bot, and you can program a Slack bot if you do use Slack. Sorry, I don't use Teams, so I don't know if you can uh, do it on Teams, but you can program Slack bots to sort of regularly nudge people um, uh, around particular issues. Um, Uh, One of the other things is how about Nicole using the session itself, you know, be productive, be generative in the session. So are there things that they can do when you've got them in that hour that they can actually use when they go? So, So for example, I was on a session actually Yesterday, I give a shout out to Mind and we, we we partnered with Mind Gym um, yesterday. They haven't they haven't paid me to say this, but I will <laughs> give them a shout out. Um, and and what 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 we were doing was or uh, what they were doing was asking people to practice um, giving constructive um, strength based feedback to others. Like what what is it they might say? You end up ended up with sort of twenty to thirty different expressions that people could copy and paste. And it sounds maybe a bit sort of strange and weird, but they could copy and paste all of those different sort of phrases and they could play around with it and use it and sort of experiment. So um, you know thinking about what what can you do in the session that people can take away. And then the other thing we've done, Nicole in the past is come up with a set of challenges, team based challenges. So let's say you're talking about thinking like a customer. You might have 10 things and experiments that people could do with their teams. Um, You know, for example, challenge number one might be find someone who you don't know is in your business and and find out what their top priorities are. That would be an example of, you know, thinking, thinking like a customer. So I tried to be a bit sort of pacey with that because I'm conscious of time, but I hope that was helpful.
0: Kenny, like you said, we are coming almost to the, thank you for the question again. And Kenny, we're almost coming to the end of the session. One last question for you. What's that one thing people can apply today this week um to improve their facilitation
1: one thing that people can apply it's i think it's gonna be a boring one nelson um uh, i'm sure i'll end the session and think of something different but uh, practicing the listening that i mentioned earlier um the, the sort of clarifying summarizing paraphrasing why is that important from a facilitation perspective? Because I think too often we focus on what we need to say as facilitators without recognizing that unless you've listened really well, whatever you say is, is is less likely to be impactful. So I think one skill that I would recommend we practice, particularly given the world in which we live in now and the climate, is those sort of key listening skills um, of uh, clarifying, uh, 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 summarizing and paraphrasing. Um, So you're listening and then you respond. So I should say probably listening and responding skills. Um, And and those three are are, are ones that I would focus on. I do hope that's helpful for people. Oh,
0: thank you, uh, Kenny. Thank you again kenny apologies to everyone again for our connection but kenny you've been absolutely brilliant so thank you once again for coming on the show um thank you to everyone who joined us and um, hopefully you found it useful you can absolutely listen back to the show on your favorite podcast app uh, our next show will be on the 13th of april um, if you want to continue the conversation please do use the hashtag #DisruptLive. live And one last thing is a shout out to our producer of the show, Georgie, who after this will be leaving us to spend more time with her cats and to go find herself. Um, And so uh, Georgie has been absolutely instrumental in bringing together our guests, putting together the show. And literally we come on and do the easy part and Georgie's put the show together. So a shout out to Georgie for all her incredible work and all the best uh, with what Georgie goes on to do. And once again, thank you to the community for joining the show. And thank you once again to Kenny. Until next time, take care, be safe, and see you soon.